and we're live. Welcome to today's episode of MicroConf on Air. I'm your host, Rob Walling. Every Wednesday, we live stream for about 30 minutes and we cover topics relating to building and growing ambitious startups that fit within the goals of having a life, not burning yourself out, finding freedom, purpose, and relationships. So thank you for joining me once again this week, whether you're joining us live at microconfonair.com or whether you're listening to us asynchronously on the MicroConf on Air podcast available wherever greater podcasts are sold. I have a bit of an announcement to make. It's a fun one before we get into the, the main topic today. Starting next week, we're going to start featuring one MicroConf talk each week in the MicroConf on Air podcast feed. So again, MicroConf on Air, you search that phrase in any podcatcher, Spotify, Overcast, Downcast, iTunes, Stitcher, all the places, you'll find MicroConf on Air. Right now, that has essentially been a, an avenue for us to to put these live streams, you know, out in an asynchronous fashion. Um, so people can listen to them if they miss the stream. Starting next week, we're gonna have the the live streamed episodes each week and also a microconf talk from the past, uh, well, almost decade of doing microconfs. And we're starting with the top five rated talks of all time, which is currently a, a YouTube playlist in our YouTube channel. I'm gonna do short intros, uh, kind of setting the stage and the context for each of these each of these talks and then we're going to essentially roll the talk audio and so we'll do one of those a week based on a twitter poll i asked you know do people want one two or three three or more talks each week and people were like hey i got a lot of stuff to listen to but i'd love to hear it we've gotten overwhelming feedback when i mentioned this idea of having microconf talks in a podcast feed somewhere so this is how how we'll do it and over time obviously we'll build up a nice nice backlog of those but one a week for the foreseeable future and I'm, I'm, for one, pretty stoked about this. It's, it's nice to be able to revisit these. A lot of these, these groundbreaking, like, uh, there were tectonic shifts. Some of them, in, in our, you know, bootstrap, self-funded, indie-funded space. Um, some talks just had ripples and, and continue to be, to be classic. So it's fun to, to revisit them. And then, of course, if you want to go back and see the visuals, they're, of course, in our YouTube channel as well. So MicroConf on Air podcast feed. Check that out if you are um, interested in hearing a talk a week. In addition, MicroConf Connect members, I'd love to encourage you to submit your story to our Founder Story Spotlights. I want to start spotlighting folks in the MicroConf community, specifically in the, who are members of Connect, who want to um, you know, talk about their story. I'll interview you on MicroConf on air, talk about what you're building, why you're building it, where you're at, just try to pull out the, the interesting stuff from you and some exposure as well. Um, so if you're not in MicroConf Connect, the first step would be microconfconnect.com and sign up for that. That's our 1100 plus person Slack channel. It's founders and aspiring founders in there. And, um, there is a link to apply if you want to apply to the founder store spotlights, there's a link to apply in the microconf on air channel of microconf connect, where you can also ask questions for my guests today, Colleen and John, if you haven't already. You should um, subscribe. I'm assuming you're probably watching this on YouTube, maybe on our MicroConf on air uh, area, but youtube.microconf, there's a subscribe button there. We have about 4,400 subscribers, I believe, um, which is cool because we only launched this channel a few months ago. And I uh, hit that button to be notified of future live videos, but also of all the, you know, all the content that we're putting out on the stream. Before we dive in, thank you, as always, to Basecamp and Stripe. They're our headline partners for the year, and they make everything we do just a little easier. And um, it's great to have them on board here in 2020. 
So moving into the, the top today, today I'm joined by Colleen Johnston and John Samuelson. We're going to talk through their process of moving from bootstrapping to take all round funding. Their company is called Scatterspoke, that's scatterspoke.com. It's a tool for agile development teams to run smarter retrospectives based on data, feedback, and analytics. And I actually, guys, so I pulled some sentences from your uh, tiny seed application. So the, the round of, I mean, the, the punchline oh is the round of funding that they raised is from tiny seed. No, don't worry, I, I edited it. But it, it was it was cool to look back because there's, you know, different description on your homepage now. But like the deeper dig into, into Scatterspoke is that it's time to ditch the stickies. And I thought that was a clever little hack. I remember reading that and be like, ooh, I like, I'm intrigued. Tell me more. Yeah, customize your retro formats, post cards in real time, vote on issues, make targeted improvements to how you work, have a smarter retrospective. So John and Colleen, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks, so, Rob. You know, again, if folks have questions, I'm scanning the, yeah, right. There's a question here we'll get into in a second. So we have one question so far. Um, and I, of course, have a list of questions just to dig in. So, you know, Scatterspoke is part of Tiny Seed Batch 2, which started about, I guess it's, all, is it almost two months already? Yeah, I think it is. Wow. Um, in fact, a point of trivia, they are one of six companies in Batch 2 whose name starts with the letter S. <laughs> six of 13 companies. <laughs> I don't know. We have a bias towards S. I'm not sure. Um, so Scatterspoke, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. I, get, I again went back to your, your application, but your first paying customer was about two years ago. I think it was February of 2018. And, but the tool was free for like 18 to 24 months before that. That sound relatively on target? Yeah, we, we, we actually, I built it. Uh, I'm a software engineer. I built it to learn a new technology, uh, WebSockets, like way long time ago. And it just put it online and left it on there. And it, every once in a while, I'd be inspired to add more to it. And I eventually threw analytics on it and realized, there's actually people using this. So that's kind of when we decided to make the shift to a business. Yeah. And Colleen, you're, you're kind of a, you're kind of a big name in the agile space. You want to tell people just a little bit about your background so they have context of, you know, why you're a great co for this, this company. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've been in the software industry for a little over 20 years and about half of that time focused on coaching agile teams started off with working with scrum teams and then moved into Kanban and started working with scaling that across the organization and doing full agile transformation work um, and it was pretty early in my consulting career that i started to realize that this was just a huge gap in that um, retrospectives were constantly getting canceled or pushed you know pushed out or rescheduled because a lot of times they were at the end of the week or the the team didn't feel like that was a worthwhile investment in their time they could be doing development or other things to contribute towards delivering user value um, so I, you know, when John wanted to learn this new technology, we kind of looked at different opportunities of ways to apply it. And I knew this, this user base really well. So it gave us a chance to um, bring that tool kind of along with me in, into consulting engagements and get feedback real time and, and use it with clients, um, which was totally invaluable, you know, early on to have um, that side by side user experience and have people saying, you know, we like this, we don't like this, we don't want to use this. But yeah, like John said, it was free for a very long time before we realized that um, our user user count was climbing pretty steadily and we were kind of on to something. Yeah, and it's a really good combination. You know, we, we see obviously a lot of companies applying to Tiny Seed as well as just folks have conversations with hundreds and if not thousands over the years uh, through MicroConf and the podcast. And this 
developer co-founder along with a like a thought leader subject matter expert is is a really strong combination so it's cool um you know it's cool to see it working out well for you guys so i think you know i want to i want to dive in and answer i'm sorry ask the obvious question of you bootstrapped scatterspoke for several years it was free then you had revenue and you decided to apply to tiny seed to accept some funding and go through an accelerator. Why not continue down the path that you were already on? Why not continue to bootstrap? So I, I think for for uh, for me specifically, eventually, uh, you know, I, I still had a W two job, and you know, I was climbing the ranks there, and I was doing very well in my career. But Scatterspoke was taking off, and that's—I mean—it's not a bad thing. But you know, I was working on my lunch break. I was working before work. I was working after work, and it's like at some point, if this thing's taking off, um, like why why make it so hard on yourself, right? Like, and by taking some funding, it gave us kind of that safety net to be like, okay, I can unhook my brain from that career trajectory that I was on and focus on this and not feel bad about you know, missing time with my family. So that was a huge reason for, for me on, on why we decided to, to take Colleen. Colleen, you have any thoughts to add there? Yeah, I think um, I was probably the last holdout here in terms of being open to, to getting investment money. I was pretty, um, I was actually very nervous about kind of giving up some of our, our product, you know, the closeness closeness that I have to the industry and, and feeling like maybe we'd be giving up some product control and product decision making along the way. I uh oh, we've lost your audio a bit. Colleen, your audio is cut out. Yeah. All right. Yeah, fiddle fiddle with that and I will um it's interesting because one of the questions I have later on was what about the idea that you're, you know, a lot of, of bootstrappers um, and, and I bootstrapped all of my companies and I considered raising funding with the last one, especially, but um, you know, I've never been, it's that it's, it's all about bootstrapping or that it's all about raising funding. It's in my mind, it's always been, Hey, know what you're getting into, know who you're getting, you know, who, who your investors are know what you're giving up by doing this. And as long as you understand that, um, that's a reasonable thing. And we were going to raise an angel round with, with drip before we sold it. But one of the questions that I think commonly comes up is like, what about the idea that you are giving up control, you know, whether it's control of yeah. decision-making in your company or with your product. And so Colleen had started to speak to that, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. John. Yeah. It, I mean, I think everybody has this idea in their head that all funding comes with loss of loss of control of their company. And I mean, we definitely thought of that too. And, that's just kind of, and this goes beyond bootstrapping a SaaS company. That's just like who you're doing business with, right? So I don't think we would have strolled down VC lane and gone and pitched everybody to a bunch of suits. And Rob, this is kind of a plug for you, but I was been listening to your podcast for years. So I, I felt like I kind of had an idea what you were about, what Tiny C was about. And that was very attractive to, attractive to us. And, you know, when you guys were interviewing us about the funding, that was, we were taking away bits and pieces from that too. And I, I felt very comfortable by the end of it that we got to know you guys enough to realize you were there to help us, not control us. 
Right. And I want to be clear, obviously, to listeners like this is or the audience, this is not obviously not a, a commercial for Tiny Seed in any way. It really is just a conversation about their thought process. There are other options for raising, you know, this kind of funding out there that um, are not venture track, right? Vent venture capital tends to be the the place where it does get a little, it puts you on a path of perpetually raising funding every 18 months in general. They do want the unicorn outcomes. Um, that's a general thing, but there are other avenues now that have sprung up, you know, that are not just, just tiny seed, but it's nice to hear this thought process of having this in-between funding. You know, Cortland Allen published a post, it was about two or three weeks ago about how he says like indie, like indie hackers doesn't just mean bootstrapped anymore. And while it doesn't, it probably yeah. doesn't venture. There, there are these these third options. Colleen, you're back. Yeah. You wanna... Colleen, yeah. back. Can you hear me okay now? Yes. Yes. Excellent. John was Great. talking about that fear of loss of control, you know, and that um, that listening to me on the podcast for years helped him feel like that wasn't going to be a thing. And then and it sounds like you're interviewing us as much as we perhaps were interviewing you during the the tiny interview process. Does that seem accurate? Oh, definitely. I think I think the interview process was kind of critical for us to understand what you guys like. What were we getting out of it too, right? And I think the mentorship opportunity was what I, you know what really finally tipped the scales for me in feeling like um, that was a trade off that we needed to make because there it wasn't just access to the other you know the other startups in the cohort, which has been huge already. Like you said, it's two we're two months in, um, having access to other founders kind of going through a lot of the same stuff is such an important conversation to be able to have on a regular basis. But it's also opened up mentorship opportunities with the previous cohort and. Um, the network of mentors that the Tiny Seed organization brought to the table too. So that that to me was something that we were just, you know, even if we were, if all of our trajectory was up and to the right from a profit perspective, that was something we were just never going to really be able to foster on our own. Right, right. And that's something, you know, folks have asked, it's a pretty common question of like, hey, if I were to apply to uh, to Tiny Seed or any accelerator, apply to funding from Indie.vc, you know, what what is it that uh, I get out of it aside from the money. And with Tiny Seed, I would say, well, you get the funds. And in, in your case, that, you know, allowed you, John, to go full time, which is a, it, it is a big deal, like to be able to focus and to not have to balance family and work and and then this side project. Um, but this, the second thing I talk about is like the community of the batch of being in a, you know, a batch of 10, 12, 13 founders, or 13 companies, that is, I think there's almost 20, is that right? I think there's about 20 founders in, in batch two across 13 companies. And that's something I don't know that a lot of people realize the value of that going in. And it seems like, oh, that'll be that'll be cool. But like we often hear that that is that that or the mentorship is like the number one thing and that the money is actually like a tertiary benefit, even though it seems you know at the start that the money is number one. Yeah, I definitely um, agree with that. Um, I was just going to add it. it and to be to be frank, we we got offers from like angels around, and that does not come with the community. So that's just right. another point. Yeah, yeah. Community and a mentorship are things that I think if you take traditional angel, you might if you don't already have that community or don't have a way to to tap into. Hey, there's. I mean, I'm in a mastermind, and I have other founders around me supporting me. Um, and that if the angels aren't, you know, there's this derogatory term, but it's like smart money versus dumb money. It's like smart money tends to be ex-founders or people who really know what's going on in the startup space versus getting money from like a lawyer or a dentist. You know, you can raise two, three, four hundred thousand dollars pretty easily um, from angels, from the local dentists and stuff. And 
they're smart people, but they're not smart in startups. They're not going to look at your pricing page and say, right. oof, you, you, gotta, you need to 10x this pricing and how's your conversion rate working and have you talked to this you know, copywriter who, who did all this stuff. So I feel like, so Nick, Nick from Dentally had a question and I think we already answered it. His question was, what were the biggest concerns prior to taking the funding and how do you feel about those concerns now having taken the funding? And I think a big one was um, control, right? It was losing poten potentially some product control. Yeah, I would say the product control was a big part. And I think one of the things that's been kind of interesting, like what you're saying too, about the the shift with mentorship is it isn't just about, um, I guess, like an advisory role. I think what's already happened is that we've seen that there's been things that we were kind of stewing on or, or, or trying to figure out what direction to take and having some of these conversations with the cohort and with you and, and Einar has really been the thing that's kind of pushed us over towards making some, I guess like I, what I would have considered a risky decision six months ago, right? And and they, we just needed somebody to kind of tip the scales and tell us like, just go try this. Um, so that's some of the other things where it's it hasn't been, um, it hasn't been like a, that you guys are directing certain decisions more. It's more in, informing um, other things that you've seen be successful with other startups and helping us make that choice. Right. It's trying to look at what you're doing and saying, hey, here's, we, we sometimes suggest things like when we see an obvious kind of pricing uh, mismatch or something, but oftentimes it's a founders coming to us saying, hey, I am exactly what you're saying. Like, I think we should be doing these things, but A, should we? And B, how should we prioritize them? And then C, how do we actually go about them? You know, and, and whether we, like Anar and I have our own skill sets, but once it goes beyond those, and of course that's where we go to the, the mentor networks to help help you move forward. John, you, you had a thought there? Uh, I was just going to add the the one other concern that I had was the uh, the actual process of selling a piece of our company, right? Mm -hmm. Like due diligence, like that seems kind of scary from the outside, and it really wasn't. I mean, especially being a small company, there wasn't that much to get in order. Uh, but I definitely remember being nervous about, you know, how far back we were going to dig, like. And we definitely did due diligence, right? But I don't know. It, every time we get lawyers involved, it, it, it can get, be kind of overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, and we've tried to streamline that process from for both parties, for both the founders and, and Tiny Seed, just to save everybody money. Um, but it, it is, yeah, that can seem daunting. Um, but it's it's you know we've been we've been pulling it off. We've done twenty three companies now in about you know over thirteen months. So. I think that's something good to raise. Pablo has a question. He asked, has your relationship with your clients, your customers changed since you took the funding? Ooh, good one. I, I'll take a stab at this. So, um, you know, it's interesting. We just hired someone to do some customer research for us um, to help us some copy stuff. And one of the things that kept coming up as a thing that we excel at is customer support. So, you know, beforehand, our customer support, we are always there. I might have been like, oh, I'm going to go to the bathroom at work. And, you know, yes, this is how you do whatever on our site. And now I can, like, for real, be all available for customer support all the time. So in that way, it's it's affected it a lot because we can be there and be responsive to people. And it's not like this thing that we answer after hours only. That's cool. That's a nice benefit to them. Colin, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, I mean, from our perspective too, I think we've really created some interesting partnerships with some of our large enterprise clients where they've had very specific needs 
needs around features that maybe we didn't have when they first came to us. And we've tried to create a really collaborative partnership with them in, in bringing some of those features into the tool. Um, that also came up in our, in, you know, our customer research um, project that we just went through. And, and that's something that I think is also really invaluable, right, to be able to get feedback from these huge organizations around maybe small things that would make the tool more productive for them or um, more engaging for their teams. And um, we've been able to fold that feedback in pretty quickly. And that feels like a really cool um, relationship to have with these with these big customers where um, they can come to us and say, you know, we, we would like to be able to you know export to this format or something or import import a retro from something else and we can um, respond to that pretty quickly and like John said I think that just comes down to having the available time and resources to to put it, put behind that yeah the benefit of focus you know that benefit of full-time focus that makes sense helps you move faster Pablo has another question he asked did you try to get a loan instead of raising funding no, not not like a business loan. It, back in the early days, you know, we got like a company credit card, so it's kind of similar. Um, but no, we did not go out and seek a small business loan at all. And that was again yeah. just kind of like uh, we didn't, I, we didn't know what we wanted to do with the money, right? And part of this whole thing is it's money plus mentorship. So, right, right, and that's that's a thing borrowing. If you try to go to a bank and borrow money, they're probably going to laugh you out of the bank because they're going to say, what assets do you have? And it's like, well, it's this revenue stream that we're going to grow. You can obviously borrow from, you know, there's revenue-based financing now that's that's sprouted up uh, for SaaS, whether it's through something like, you know, Stripe or whether it's through the the Lighters and the Bigfoots and the SaaS Capitals. I mean, you, if you Google RBF or revenue-based financing for SaaS, you'll see 50 companies doing it. Um, some of them will loan you money and ask for a personal guarantee. So you have to pay it back, even if the company goes under, you know, and in which case you're, you're liable for it. Some do not require uh, the personal guarantee, um, but they, there's a, the minimums are not low. I'll put that. I'll put it that way. Like, I, I think the minimums are between 15,000 15, MRR and 30,000 MRR. So you have to be doing 180 to 360 from what I've seen with most of them. And some are, some are even, you know, higher. They, if you need to deploy $100 million in in lending capital, you can't drop it in $50,000 checks. It's just not, there's the underwriting and all that. It doesn't even make sense. So there are options, but that is one place where, like, Anar and I looked at this when we when we wanted to. We're thinking about starting Tiny Seed. Is like, what else is out there serving this? You know, early, you know, say two K to one K to thirty K MRR type company, and there just weren't a lot of of options that way. So, um, very cool. I'm curious, you know, before coming into um, to to Tiny Seed, like. You've talked a lot about the mentorship obviously being a big factor. What specifically did you expect that you would would get from that? Realizes that the hard. I think a lot of it was around like the decision making piece, right? Like I referenced before, and I think having having other people who've been able to say like we made this pricing change or we made this onboarding flow change, and here's how it went for us. Um, and we've already seen a ton of that. That's been really useful. Um, I think. Going in, I expected that to be more from the mentors and from from you and and Einar. But I think one of the things that's been really cool about it is it's just as much from the other startups in the cohort. So, the sharing and the sharing of successes and just as much the sharing of fail failures, I think, is really cool. I mean, 
we're all going to have them. We're all going to hit these bumps in the road or screw ups along the way. And I, um, I really appreciate how open everybody's already been with just being like, we did this and this happened, or we tried this and this screwed up, um, you know, screwed something up with billing or whatever. And that, that, um, is a huge learning opportunity for everyone involved to see the, to share those failures. But it's also, um, I guess just comforting too, in a completely different way of being like, okay, we're all fumbling through this and we're all kind of learning together. So I think that, that sharing and that, that experience has been really cool so far. Yeah, I like the fail whale channel in, in the tiny seat Slack where, and there's a similar one in MicroConf Connect, but you sometimes you read it and you're like, oh, that hurts. I've been there. Or I hope I never, hope I never get yeah. there. How about you, John? Do you have thoughts? Yeah, I mean, so both of us have been in this tech industry for a long time. None of this stuff is particularly new or novel to us, but, you know, when you're a small company, you lose the power of the mind, right? And so when I've been at companies, you have 10, 15, 20 people weighing in on these big decisions for companies. And it's hard when you're the founders, you're so close to the problems. And you, especially if it's been years, um, and it's just, you get the blinders up and it's just nice to be a part of something and you kind of get the benefits of having a lot more people to help you think about the problems. Uh, than just just being you. Um, so yeah. Cool. And I think uh, as we look towards wrapping up, I have another question. If you if you are in uh, MicroConf on air Slack channel, feel free. We could probably fit another one more audience question in uh, before we wrap. But I'm curious. Again, coming back, I was trying to think like you know what would a typical self funded startup founder be thinking if if they're if they're either averse to funding or they just might have objections or reservations about it. And and one thing that I've heard is that it, it would feel weird to have someone else own, you know, equity in my company. And I I dig into that and it's often like, well, why does that feel weird? I don't know. It just feels weird. And, you know, so there's there's like a some folks have an emotional or, you know, is it it it's a very real feeling or sense that that they don't want anyone to have um equity in their company. So I'm, my question is like, does it feel odd? Uh, to have someone in this case, Tiny Seed own equity in Scatterspoke, given that you you know you bootstrapped it for three, four, you know three and a half years or whatever, um, and and now here you sit. Uh, I don't think it feels that weird, but I I've been at like I don't know we we have just on a personal level we have other companies and things and this this is how business works right like it's very rare that you make it to the top, like just a hundred percent by yourself. Of course it happens, but I see this just as like a strategic, this way business gets done, how you go faster. Uh, so yeah, it doesn't bother me at all. I think maybe Colleen might have a different feeling though. <laughs> yeah, I would say it is a little weird. I think it's, I mean, it's just been our baby for so long. It's, um, you know, like, going through the whole bootstrapping process, it is a lot of late nights and, um, you know, going back and forth on decisions between the two of us of, of what we feel like is the right, right move to make. And now there's other voices and other opinions to weigh in that. So it's different. I mean, it is different than it was before we had um, other investors to consider. And I think it comes up, you know, in interesting ways where we have to kind of think about, um, 
communicating more and tracking more than I think, you know, probably things we should have always been doing, but, you know, we're working on investor reports now and gathering data and metrics in a different way. And um, that's all good accountability for us. But I think it was very easy stuff for us before to just have our finger on the pulse of one or two key numbers where um, now we have to consider, like, how do we show progress and how do we show, how do we measure some of these decisions and the, the outcomes that they're driving towards? Yeah, I think that's a good point because I do think as as a bootstrapper, I with some of my products slash companies, I got I was a little lazy. <laughs> I had a feel, I had a gut sense of where it was, but I'd never, you know, I if I had had to write an email to an investor or an advisor each month, I wouldn't have had the data. And so that's a balance, right? It's a balance of you don't want to become a bean counter and you don't want to waste 30 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes a month gathering a bunch of crap that you don't need. Uh, but on the flip side, I think, you know, to your point, Colleen, there's, there can be a certain, um, it can be helpful. It can be a helpful forcing function to make you think about your business, uh, you know, perhaps in a different lens once a month as you kind of track and gather things. So very cool. Well, if folks want to keep up with what you're up to, at Scatterspoke on Twitter and Scatterspoke.com if they like to, uh, to check it out. And I hope, um, I hope the Denver weather is treating you good this time of year and oh someone nick yeah nick from dentally just chimed in uh oh oh actually we got a question for pablo last minute we have one minute left he says do you expect to raise money again and it's Ooh, okay to say i don't know that's a, yeah if, or we haven't thought about it or whatever but yeah i'm curious if you've thought about that because that's the thing when, when folks come into tiny c we tell them look we have we've had a company say i want to go raise a venture round and we're like cool we'll back you up like our terms are cool with that and so are we and we had someone say hey i never want to raise again we're like great and then we had someone say well i'm going to raise an angel round we're like great you know we'll introduce you to angel like wh whatever you decide or i want to run it forever and be a profitable company and throw out dividends great you have that flexibility so um that's kind of our stance on it we'll support you in whatever you do but i'm curious if you guys have had conversations about it or even even thought about it at this point I mean, we've definitely thought about it in the way that I kind of approach this idea and how we approach this is it's kind of like, what do we want the company to be, right? Like, do we want it to be a lifestyle business where yeah, like we're happy we grow our, our AR to 500 grand a year? Like that's, that's awesome. Or does it make sense to like at some point throw a bunch of gas on it? I don't know the answer to that. We are just kind of maybe pulling out of the, the, the kind of flat spot we had been in for a little bit and starting to go up again. Um, and I, I think just time will tell is, is unfortunately the answer for me. Colleen, you have closing thoughts? Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I mean, it's kind of hard to know, I think, at this point. Point. It, we've been very fortunate, I think, when you think about everything that's happened with COVID and pushing so many tech organizations to work from home. Um, we were in a great spot to be able to help those organizations continue to function and communicate with each other and um, reflect on how they were working through all of that, you know, through all of that time. Um, so I think there's just so many factors and things we don't know, right, about what's going on in the world around us that make it so hard for us to know um, what will happen next around that. But I mean, I, I think this has made me more open to considering it than I would have been before, which is cool. Sure. Um, but who knows? Yeah, who knows where, where yeah. we'll go next? Yeah, it's like you raised your round, uh, you know, 75 days ago. So you have plenty of time to, th to think about that and not, not feel rushed. So thanks again. Um, for joining me today. It's been a really fun episode. Again, scatterspoke.com if you want to check out what, what John and Colleen are up to. 
So every week on Wednesday at 1, 1 p.m. Eastern time, uh, we live stream and we'll be doing that again next Wednesday, working with producer Xander right now on um, on what the, uh, what the, who the guests are going to be next Wednesday and, and what the topic will be. But I will see you same place, same time. Have a good week.